0: My name is Denny Kreisik, I'm the senior pastor here, and we're honored that you are. We're looking forward to a great night. Obviously, you've come with anticipation and expectation, and we're looking forward to what God's gonna to do tonight. We again, uh, we've never done anything quite like this before, so we didn't know what to expect in regards to crowd. If you were to tell me about Christmas and Easter, I'd know what to expect. Tonight we didn't. So if you have been tight or couldn't find a parking place right away. I apologize for that. Many of you have been parked in different places and uh, you took all of my advice this morning and last Sunday morning to heart and I really appreciate that. So far I've I've not gotten any hate mail or any hate emails (laughs) about our parking and putting everybody in different places and all the security around here. These, if again, on your way out tonight, you see one of these security officers or one of the police officers or someone from Mike's office, the Butler County Sheriff, say thank you. They just went above and beyond the call of duty to provide a great event tonight. And a lot of Pennsylvania State Police Officers have volunteered their time. Mike obviously has with the Butler County Sheriff's Department. Just a lot of great people have given a lot of time tonight, and I really appreciate that. We are so honored to have you. We are looking forward to an amazing event. If you haven't been with us over the last few weeks, I want to just again remind you of what Brigitte is all about. Let me read this, what it says, so you get a glimpse of who she is and what she's done. Brigitte Gabriel is one of the leading terrorism experts in the world, providing information and analysis on the rise of global Islamic terrorism. She lectures nationally and internationally about terrorism and current affairs. Her expertise is sought after by world and business leaders. Listen to this. She's addressed the Australian Prime Minister, members of the British Parliament, House of Commons, members of the United States Congress, the Pentagon, Joint Forces Staff College, the United States Special Operations Command, the Warfare Group, the FBI, and many others, and now at Community Alliance Church. Is that not an amazing array of events? She is a regular guest analyst on Fox News Channel, CNN, MSNBC, and various radio programs across America. She has been on the road over the last few days, traveling all over this country. She is the founder and president and CEO of Act for America. You'll hear a lot about that at the end of our service tonight. The largest grassroots citizen action network dedicated to preserving national security and combating Islamic supremacy. She's the author of two books, and we'll have those available in our gymnasium tonight, because they hate and they must be stopped. And those will be available after the service when you leave here this evening out to our gymnasium. You'll be directed again by our security staff so we go to the right place and we're able to funnel everyone in and out safely tonight without any problems at all. She has been named one of the top 50 prominent speakers in America. She speaks Arabic, French, English, and Hebrew. I don't even feel like I can do English well. So I am fascinated by what she is able to do thank you for coming tonight. Thank you so much for being patient with us tonight for this event and for pulling together. We're looking forward to a great night. Let's ask God's blessing on this. And then you're going to see a 13-minute video that's going to describe her and what she's been able to do, and then she will come on the stage as I introduce her in a moment. Father, we again thank you for the opportunity to find out what's going on around the world and how we are to respond to that. We live in very uncertain times. Nothing like We, many of us, have lived through before, and a lot like others of us have. So all of us in this room come from different vantage points. We've been through the variety of circumstances through the years. Many have seen the rise and fall of nations. Many have been involved in war. Some are still involved in that. Tonight, in the name of Jesus, I ask for a protective cover, not only on us here in this place. We ask that you'll surround this campus with your presence and your grace. But I do pray for our men and women who are serving overseas around this globe, who are serving to protect our freedom, thank you for the willingness to give their all so that they can serve this country and allow us to be able to enjoy the freedoms we experience here tonight. So please keep them safe. We look forward to a great night. Bless this place with your presence. May we again listen to you, and then after we hear everything tonight, ask you what is it that we are to do in response to what we have heard. May you bless this place and this event and this evening and this campus with your presence and with your grace because you indeed are the supreme Authority overall. And in your son's name we pray, amen. Watch this video clip about Brigitte Gabriel, and then I'll be right back up to introduce her. It begins
1: with a single drop of water. Joining other drops, it grows into a small stream. The stream surges with other streams to become a raging torrent that can wear down or wash away even the strongest obstacles. This is the power of one Not one alone, but one joined with others in a common purpose toward a shared goal. And this same power that creates an unstoppable torrent of water can create a powerful national grassroots movement. a single drop the passionate vision of Brigitte Gabriel
2: Welcome to Act for America
1: A passion for protecting America from the threat of radical Islam a passion birthed from the scars of Islamic jihad in Lebanon
2: Many people don't realize that Lebanon used to be the only majority Christian country in the Middle East. The country was founded on today's Christian principles, and we extended that love and acceptance to all religions around us. The night of the attack, I was 10 years old. My parents tucked me in bed, sang me a lullaby, said my prayers. That's when 14 rockets exploded in my home. I was wounded and buried under the rubble. i was screaming and screaming for my parents to come and i would fade in and out of consciousness i was a christian born into the christian faith that was my crime as 10 years old i ended up living in a bomb shelter from age 10 to age 17 robbed of my youth Watching the planes crash into the buildings on 9-11, I flashed back on the horrors of what Islamic radicals had done to me in my country of Lebanon. I said to myself, now they are here. Now people will believe what I have to say. It was time for me to tell my story and warn America. I went on a one-person speaking mission, telling everyone I met what was coming. And I realized I need more people to help me out. I can do it by myself locally, but it's not enough. So this year, instead of doing as many presentations locally, I went nationally.
1: Miss Gabrielle's mission led her in late 2007 to create Act for America, which is now the largest grassroots national security movement in America, with hundreds of thousands of members and hundreds of chapters nationwide.
2: I know how information followed by action gets things done. I founded Act for America to empower citizens through civic action to promote and secure public policies that protect America's security. To whom much is given, much
1: is Ms. Gabrielle's is clarion call in 2007 to empower Americans quickly resonated. In just 18 months, Act for America had over 250 local chapters and was already winning victories, helping pass legislation in New York protecting authors from intimidation lawsuits, exposing unlawful Islamic proselytizing in a Minnesota charter school, which led to the Minnesota Department of Education citing the school for violations of law, pressuring Tyson Foods of Tennessee to restore Labor Day as a paid holiday after Tyson agreed to a union contract that removed Labor Day and replaced it with the Islamic holiday, al Fitter. But this was just the beginning... Today, ACT for America's headquarters in Florida oversees its national efforts. The organizational skills and political savvy of ACT's national director, Guy Rogers, are the foundation of the organization. His experience is helping ACT grow and be an effective voice for our nation. As a
0: political strategist and organizer for nearly 25 years, I came to ACT for America with a simple question. How do we defeat the threat of radical Islam? Throughout history, when the march of radical Islam has been stopped, it's when it met organized resistance. This is the heart and soul of the Act for America mission. Stop the growing threat of radical Islam to America in whatever form that threat takes through organized grassroots driven resistance.
1: By early 2012 Act for America had grown to over 235,000 members and 700 local chapters, well on the way to its goal of one million members and 2,500 chapters.
3: It is what God put me on this earth to do, to, pr- to protect my way of life, to protect everything that our world stands for. We are making a difference in Houston. We're seeing
0: kind of a ramping up of Islamic militancy, and that's concerning to us.
1: Local ACT chapters are being organized across America.
3: There's a lot of workshops, activist training, equipping everyone to understand the legislative process, how to call their senators, how to call their congressmen.
1: Growing at the rate of 20 chapters a month, these chapters are the backbone of this national movement. Chapter members educate and motivate their local circles of influence to confront the threat of radical Islam in their communities. When each of our hundreds of chapter leaders works on a national effort, they know that their individual efforts are joined by hundreds of thousands of people all over America. Whether the threat is homegrown terrorism Islamist assaults on our freedom of speech, pro-Islamic bias on college campuses and in public school textbooks, or Sharia law creeping into our court system. Act for America is on the front lines protecting your family, your community, our national security, and our cherished freedoms.
3: We are a group of people from all over the country, different walks of life, different understanding, different backgrounds, education, careers, um, different heritage. We all come together for our common goal of making this country and keeping this country safe.
1: As each chapter becomes strong and vibrant, ACT for America increases its national impact and adds to its impressive list of victories and accomplishments. ACT helps stop the transfer of Guantanamo Bay enemy combatants to a prison in Standish, Michigan. Using its large Facebook presence, Act successfully pressured a Washington State Community College to distance itself from CARE, the Council on American-Islamic Relations. Act won the inclusion of anti-Sharia resolutions in the Republican Party platforms in Texas, Kansas, Georgia, and Washington State. Act spearheaded the successful effort in Tennessee to strengthen the state's anti-terrorism laws. ACT chapter leaders in three states working together online exposed a jihadist who was then arrested by the FBI. ACT led the efforts to win passage of American Laws for American Courts legislation in Tennessee, Arizona, and Kansas. The law prohibits courts from using foreign law, including Sharia law, when doing so conflicts with the
4: Constitution. Large problems and large opportunities require large organizations. We're rapidly building the largest grassroots network the U.S. has ever seen. Nothing excites me more than getting a call from a local chapter leader telling me he's just had 300 people show up to his meeting. We will succeed. Because they hate, a survivor of Islamic terror warns
1: America. As an author of two New York Times bestsellers, Ms. Gabrielle has established herself as an authority on radical Islam and national security. Her message and ACT's mission... Are clear.
2: The primary responsibility of the federal government is to protect the United States of America. We expect our elected officials to support policies which will do just that. As a grassroots organization, we will be watching the decisions they make and vote accordingly.
1: Act for America is also making its mark on Capitol Hill.
3: Grassroots people power makes a huge impact on Capitol Hill. When I meet with members of Congress and their staffs, they know that standing behind me is a vast network of Act for America. Hundreds and thousands of activists and voters concerned about national security issues.
0: Your membership should understand how much influence you have with members of Congress.
2: Act for America does a great job of getting their members involved making sure that they know the correct information on the
4: issues before they call their representatives.
0: I don't know anywhere that I can go and find better and more credible information than we get from Act for America. For us on Capitol
1: Hill, we need to have an informed electorate, not just to help us to get elected, but to hold us accountable and hold our feet to the fire. Act for America is answering a prayer that so many have that Americans will wake up, will understand there's an enemy that wants to destroy us. My fear is that election cycles in the United States of America are starting to resemble more of American Idol and Dancing with the Stars, than people really going out and having a good grasp of the issues, and Act for America is really helping people to have a good grasp of the issues.
3: As director of government relations, my job is to come up here to Capitol Hill, talk with members of Congress and their staffs about issues that are important to our organization, let those people know how our grassroots members feel about those issues. And then the other half of it is when our folks contact those members of Congress as constituents and let them know through letters and phone calls how they feel about the issues. When you put my presence on Capitol Hill and the grassroots together, that's what makes the most powerful impact for our organization.
1: Using state-of-the-art online technology, Act for America is empowering its chapters and members to effectively communicate with their members of Congress. This combination of technology, grassroots people power, and Lisa's presence on Capitol Hill is forging new victories for our national security and putting our opponents, such as radical organizations like Care and ISNA, on notice that concerned Americans are ready and willing to fight the threat of radical Islam.
3: ALREADY DURING THIS CONGRESS, FOUR PIECES OF ACT FOR AMERICA HIGH PRIORITY LEGISLATION HAVE PASSED IN UNDER THE HOUSE OR SENATE. ACT FOR AMERICA HAS ALSO BEEN SUCCESSFUL THROUGH OUR NATIONAL PETITIONS, LETTERS THAT ARE SIGNED BY TENS OF THOUSANDS OF AMERICANS THAT I BRING UP TO CAPITOL HILL. IT MAKES A BIG DIFFERENCE TO US AND WE REALLY APPRECIATE THE ACTIVISM OF ACT FOR AMERICA.
1: ACT FOR AMERICA IS HELPING MAKE PEOPLE AWARE THERE'S A FIGHT GOING ON AND WE NEED TO WIN
2: from Capitol Hill to City Hall, from local communities to the World Wide Web, Act for America is successfully pushing back against the threat of radical Islam. But our enemy is determined and tenacious, and there is so much more that needs to be done. You are the hope for America. Together, we can defeat this threat to our national security. Together, we can protect the freedoms we cherish. Together, we can prevail.
0: Next Sunday morning in our morning services, we'll follow up tonight's event and what we do as Americans and what we do as believers and how to respond. I am absolutely thrilled and privileged to introduce you tonight on our stage here in Butler, Pennsylvania, Brajit Gabrielle, please give her a warm welcome. And your attention tonight as she shares what laid on her heart. Is he? Thank, you.
2: Thank you. Thank you. Wow. Wow. Thank you. Thank you, I am truly honored to be here with you tonight, thank you for honoring me with your presence. You know, when I travel around the country, people ask me, Brigitte, don't you get depressed talking about such a heavy duty subject, terrorism and radical Islam? And I tell them, of course, I'm, I'm a human like everybody else. But what keeps me energized, what keeps me happy, what drives me to continue fighting and doing what I am doing is when I travel our wonderful nation and I meet amazing patriotic people like you who take the time to show up to the presentations because they care about our country. They care about the direction of our country. And that's what energizes me and keeps me going. So I want to thank you for, for breathing. Leading life into a fight that I fight on a daily basis. Thank you for honoring me with your presence tonight. I am here to speak with you about a very, very important subject, and that is the subject of our national security, especially a few weeks before a very important election. The national security issue is an American issue. It's not a Republican issue. It's not a Democratic issue. It's not a Libertarian issue. I don't care what color you are. I don't care what background you come from. The national security issue affects every single one of us. America has been attacked under different administrations, regardless whether Republican or Democrat. As I'm speaking to you right now, there are 44 conflicts around the world raging between Muslims and non-Muslims regardless what the nationality of these non-Muslims is regardless what color their skin is regardless what color they speak 44 conflicts around the world while we in America focus on what's happening in Pakistan or Iraq or Afghanistan because our troops are there most Americans do not pay attention to what's happening in Djibouti what's happening in Chad What's happening in Burma? It's absolutely not even on our radar screen. 44 conflicts raging. We in America are under attack like many other countries around the world. And as I mentioned, America has been attacked under different administrations, regardless whether Democrats or Republicans, for the last 30 years. America was attacked the first time under the Carter administration in 1979 with the hostages in Iran. He was a Democrat. America was attacked again under Ronald Reagan administration, a Republican, in 1983 with the blowing up of the Marines in Lebanon. America was attacked again under George Bush senior administration. America was attacked again under the Clinton administration, a Democrat. It was actually under President Clinton that the Al Qaeda attacked the World Trade Center the first time in 1993. It was also under President Clinton that the Taliban trained 10,000 al-Qaeda members in Afghanistan. These people were not being trained for entertainment. They were being trained to attack the United States of America. At that time, George Bush Jr. and Dick Cheney were not even a blurb on the political American landscape. And then America was attacked again on September 11th, 2001. And people woke up the next morning saying, why did they do this to us? What did we do to offend the Islamic world? Psychoanalysts and psychobabble all, you know, on television asking all sorts of questions and beating around the bush with no one wanting to identify why we were attacked. And people thought, if we just elect President Obama, all our sins are going to be forgiven. Everybody's going to get together with us and sing Kumbaya. Two days after President Obama became president, Al Qaeda issued a press release. We continue our jihad against the United States regardless of who lives in the White House. And since President Obama became president, we have arrested on American soil over 75 homegrown terrorists, all Muslims either born into the Islamic faith or have converted to Islam trying to kill Americans or perpetrate terrorist attacks against America. Over 75 homegrown terrorists. And while this administration and our government want us to believe that our problem and our war is only with al-Qaeda, once we kill Osama bin Laden and once we eliminate al-Qaeda, all our problems are going to be over. But what we are seeing and what the facts on the grounds are, that of, of most of these 75 homegrown jihadists that we arrested on American soil, almost all of them were not a cart-carrying member of Al-Qaeda. And I'll give you a few examples. Abdul Hakim Mujahid Muhammad, the Arkansas recruiting jihadist, would-be jihadist, was not a cart-carrying member of Al-Qaeda. Nasir Abdu, the second forthood would-be jihadist, was not a cart-carrying member of Al-Qaeda. Khalid al-Dawsari, Dalabak, Texas, would-be jihadist bomber, was not a card-carrying member of Al-Qaeda. Muhammad Hussein, the would-be bomber in Baltimore, was not a card-carrying member of Al-Qaeda. Muhammad Mahmoud, the would-be bomber in Portland, Oregon, remember the guy who wanted to blow up the lighting lighting ceremony of the Christmas tree last year? He was not a card-carrying member of Al-Qaeda. Faisal Shahzad, the would-be bomber of the Times Square, remember when he parked his jeep? He was not a card-carrying member of al-Qaeda. We have a problem with the rise of radical Islam around the world. And we need to start paying attention as to what we are dealing with as Americans from all backgrounds, from all religions, coming together and uniting together in order to protect our nation and identify an enemy that is determined to attacking us. And while we were very busy focused on the economy and the election and jobs, and rightfully so, our economy is in shambles. We need jobs. There's a lot of people who are unemployed. We forgot completely about the issue of national security and foreign policy. Four weeks ago, if you know, foreign, foreign policy and national security were, were not even on anybody's mind. It took our enemy attacking our embassies in Egypt and in Libya, killing our ambassador in order to shake us out of our sleep and make us realize that while we are busy, focused on other stuff, our enemy is determined to attack us. And that's what I'm here to talk to you about tonight, what we are facing and what we can do to protect ourselves. You see, the national security issue is a very personal issue for me. For those of you who have never heard me before speak or do not know much about my background, I'm going to share with you a little bit about my life So you can understand why I am so driven and believe this is a very important issue. You see, my 9-11 happened to me in 1975 in Lebanon, where the radical Islamist blew up my home, bringing it down, burying me under the rubble wounded as they shouted, Allahu Akbar. My only crime was that I was a Christian born into the Christian faith and lived in a Christian town. I ended up in a hospital for two and a half months. And as I laid in a hospital, hooked up to IVs in both arms, going from one surgery to another, I would ask my parents, why did they do this to us? And my father would tell me, because we are Christians, the Muslims consider us infidels, and they want to kill us. So I learned since I was a 10-year-old little girl that I am wanted dead simply because I was born into the Christian faith. Whether I practiced my religion or not, it was irrelevant in my enemy's eyes. I ended up leaving the hospital and coming back home. But my home was no longer the home I left. I ended up living with my parents underground in an 8 by 10 room, a bomb shelter, without electricity, without water, and very little food, fighting to survive. And when we went into our bomb shelter, we, we didn't have much to eat. The only, the only food we had was different vegetation that grew around our bomb shelter. And we would go out under the bombs and we would dig out different dandelions and different um, vegetation. It was the only greenery we had to eat. In order to get some water, we would crawl to a nearby spring. I come from a town called Marjayoun Valley of Springs. We had seven springs in our town. And we would crawl under sniper's bullets to a nearby spring to get some water. And every time we left our bomb shelter, we would say our last goodbyes because we did not know if we are going to come back alive or dead just to get a drink of water. And we would crawl in a ditch to get to the spring where my mother had to use her stocking on top of the gallon of water to catch all the junk and all the rocks and all the maggots so we can drink the water. We lived in the mountains. It was very cold in the wintertime. My father would get out of the shelter and he would break twigs from the trees around our bomb shelter. And he would come in and he would pour kerosene or benzene or mazout on the fire and light a fire. And we would huddle around the fire so we can warm up because we didn't have any heat. And many nights we had an agreement that whoever woke up first would drag the other two outside and slap them on their face until we wake up, because many nights we would pass because of carbon monoxide poisoning. And this became my existence. And when we went into the bomb shelter, we thought, the world is going to wake up, and they're going to see what's happening to the Christians in Lebanon. Because the Islamists had organized very, very well, and they were funded by oil wealth flowing from the Middle East into Lebanon. And They would surround Christian cities and Christian areas and begin massacring the Christians. They committed monstrosities that were horrific. One of the most famous massacres is the city of Damur in Lebanon, where the Islamists came in, surrounded the city. They would walk into a bomb shelter. They would find a mother and a father hiding with a little baby in a bomb shelter. They would take the baby, tie one leg of the baby to the mother and another leg to the father, and pull the parents apart, splitting the child in half. They would walk into our churches, urinate and defecate on the altar using the Bible as toilet paper, and then torch our churches. The last lady that worked for me, I hired her because she was mentally disturbed. And the reason why she was mentally disturbed is because they walked into her bomb shelter. They took her only son, tied him on her lap, held a knife to her hand, and then made her slit her own son's throat and then raped her two daughters in front of her. They committed monstrosities that were seldom reported in the American media because most of the media was located in West Beirut, the area that the Islamists controlled. And as we sat in our bomb shelter in South Lebanon, my father would say, America's gonna wake up and see what's happening to the Christians in Lebanon, and America's gonna come and save the Christians. And we waited. And my daddy would say, the British are going to come. France is going to come. They're going to see all these big Christian nations. They're going to see what's happening to the Christians in Lebanon. And they're going to come save the Christians. And nobody came. And we went on living like this, trying to survive for three years. I remember being 13 years old, three years later, after we entered the bomb shelter. And a friend of ours from our Christian militia stopped by. And he said, Brigitte, I just stopped by to tell you that we heard on the radios that the Islamists, out launching a major attack against our town tonight. And he said, if I don't see you tomorrow, I want to wish you a merciful death. And he gave me a big hug and he left. And I remember at the age of 13 years old, wearing my Sunday best, my Easter dress, because I wanted to look pretty when I'm dead, knowing that when they come to slaughter me, there would be no one to bury me. And I cried. I sobbed as I begged my mother, I don't want to die. I'm only 13 years old. I don't want to die. And there was nothing my mother could say to me. And she continued combing my long black hair down to my hips and tied the white ribbon in my hair that matched the flowers in my dress as I cried. We had a two-hour ceasefire, and we sat in the corner of our bomb shelter. And my daddy started reading from Psalms. I shall walk into the valley of death and fear no evil, for thou art with me. And my parents said to me, when they come to slaughter us tonight, we'll create a distraction. We lived a long life. You just run. We'll create a distraction. You run away and you never look back. Just run as fast as you can. Run towards Israel, to the Israeli border. You see, we lived very close to the Israeli border. And we knew if we run to the Jews and ask them for help, the Jews are not going to slaughter us because we had more shared values with them than we had with the Muslims. Thank God I did not have to make that difficult decision that night because that's the night when Israel came in physically into Lebanon and established the security zone and pushed away the radical Islamists and the Palestinians away from our town and set up artillery bases on the hills surrounding our town to protect us. And we went on living like this for another five years until 1982, when Israel invaded Lebanon and went all the way to Beirut and kicked out Yasser Arafat and his cronies all the way to Tunisia. And we came out of the bomb shelter and back to rebuilding our lives. I ended up moving to Israel in 1984 and becoming news anchor for World News in the Middle East covering world events and reporting on world events and reporting on terrorist activities. And that was from 1984 to 1989. That's when we started seeing a true rise of Islamic terrorism all over the world on different continents. And as I reported on world events night after night, I started realizing that there was a pattern developing. Because no matter where the terrorist activity took place, the name of the perpetrators were always Muslims. Ahmed, Muhammad, Hussein, Ali, the name of the victims were always Westerners, Christians, and Jews. Terry Waite, Terry Anderson, Colonel Higgins, the Akili Lauro, the TWA, the Panam flights, and I can go on and on. As a matter of fact, in my first book titled Because They Hate, I list pages upon pages of all the attacks that the Islamists committed against the United States where America hit the snooze button and went back to sleep. And I started realizing that what I used to think was a regional problem between a majority Muslim Middle East trying to either kill or expel the minority Christians and Jews had become a worldwide problem. But the world was not paying attention. The world was not connecting the dots. The world lacked imagination. And isn't this exactly what the 9-11 commission report said to us? It's not that we did not know that al-Qaeda wants to attack the United States. They already told us what they wanted to do. We have never, ever been faced with an enemy that is so open, so direct, does not have a hidden agenda. They not only tell us exactly what they want to do, they issue press releases about it, they post it on the internet. They even recorded a video press release and made it to Al Jazeera, which airs on CNN International and CNN. We lacked imagination. Al Qaeda told us exactly how much they hate us and why they want to attack the United States. They attacked the World Trade Center the first time in 1993 under President Clinton. We treated it like a police problem. The only difference between the two attacks of 1993 and 2001 is the buildings did not come down. That's the only difference. They attacked the World Trade Center in 1993. They attacked the Kobar Towers, our Kobar Towers, in 2005. They blew up our embassies in Kenya and Tanzania in in 2007, and then in 1997. And then they went back and attacked the USS Cole And then they were so confident that we were so asleep that they came back and reattacked the World Trade Center the second time, this time bringing the buildings down, killing almost 3,000 Americans and bringing America down to its knees. We lacked imagination. But today, 10 years after September 11th, we can no longer say we lack imagination In the last four years, we have arrested over 75 homegrown terrorists trying to kill Americans. We can no longer say today we lack imagination. So what launched all this Islamic terrorism? What launched all this Islamic radicalism? Two things happened in the last 30, 40 years that breathed life into this um, movement. But before I get into that, I want to tell you about an organization that founded the radical Islamic movement in the 20th century, which, which gave it life again and made it go forward. And that's an organization that you have heard a lot about in the last two years. It's called the Muslim Brotherhood. The Muslim Brotherhood is the oldest Islamic terrorist organization in the world with 70 offshoot terrorist organizations, including Al-Qaeda and Hamas founded in 1928 in Egypt. So for those who say 1928, I mean, you know, for those who say they attacked us because of our foreign policy, they attacked us because of Israel, they attacked us because of the Middle East, baloney. If that's the reason why, then why was the Muslim Brotherhood founded in 1928? Israel at that time wasn't even in existence. We had such an isolationist policy That in 1939, even, Newsweek magazine had on its front cover, country divided, 50% of Americans want to go to war with Hitler, and 50% of Americans did not give a care what happens in Europe. We had the jobs. We had our economy to worry about. That's how much of an isolationist policy we had. So why was the Muslim Brotherhood founded? The Muslim Brotherhood was founded to bring back the Islamic Caliphate or the Islamic Empire, which had ended five years prior in Turkey in 1924 by President Atatürk. A group of sheikhs, group of millahs in Egypt got together and decided, how can Christendom win over Islam? After all, Islam is superior to all other religions. Islam was the Islamic Empire ruled most of the earth for 1,400 years. For 1,400 years, at one point, the Islamic empire, Islam, covered more of the earth's surface than the Roman empire did at its peak. So in 1924, President Atatürk in Turkey ends the Islamic empire, gives women right to vote, gives women's right to, to choice, to go to work, to get a job, to get an education. He was so secular, he even forbid women to wear the hijab and forbid men from growing beards. So a group of Muslims in Egypt decided, why don't we start the Al-Akhwan al-Muslimin, the Muslim Brotherhood, to bring back the Islamic empire and resurrect the caliphate? And people thought, well, you know, they're not going to get anywhere. I mean, Islam is over. The Islamic empire ended. This whole war is over. But two things happened that breathed life back into the Islamic movement. Discovering the oil in the Middle East, which we discovered And we allowed the Saudis to nationalize it. And then the coming to power of Khomeini in 1979 in Iran. The Saudis had the money in order to spread their money worldwide, building Islamic institutions and mosques and exporting their radical Wahhabi ideology. And Khomeini breathed the the, the spiritual power into the movement. And that's how it started growing and that's how it started mushrooming. So why should we be concerned here about the Muslim Brotherhood in the United States? Because the Muslim Brotherhood wrote a plan in 1982. The plan was a hundred-year document for radical Islam to infiltrate and dominate the West and establish an Islamic government on Earth. In the counterterrorism circles, this plan became known as the project, the Muslim Brotherhood Project. What makes the Muslim Brotherhood Project so unique is it gives tactics and proposals as to how to infiltrate the West, how to use our laws against us, how to use our open-mindedness against us. They talk about how to set up non-profit organizations and human rights organizations in order to advance the radical Islamic agenda in the West and maintain the appearance of moderation. They talk about how to get democratically elected Muslims on all levels in the West, including government, NGOs, etc., They talk about how to get Muslim interns on elected offices in the West so they can have an insider view as how politics um, uh, are done at the highest level. They talk about how to work with like-minded progressive organizations that share similar goals. This is why when you see the ACLU, for example, working with or the Council on American Islamic Relations, you scratch your head and you think to yourself, how can these two people have anything in common? But the ACLU is being used as a useful idiot at the hand of the Islamists in order to advance a radical Islamic agenda in the United States. The Muslim Brotherhood began implementing their plan in Europe. Remember, they wrote the plan in 1982. They already have been implementing it in Europe now for 20, 30 years. When you look at Europe, Europe is no longer Europe. Europe has become Arabia. It has morphed into something completely different than the Europe you used to go visit 20 years ago, 30 years ago. So why are we concerned about it in the United States? Because we're seeing what happened in Europe now coming to the United States, except it's happening at a much faster speed in America. The Muslim Brotherhood wrote a plan for the United States in order to destroy the United States in 1991. Here is the plan. The plan, this plan, was admitted as evidence in the Holy Land Foundation trial the largest terrorism trial ever in the history of the United States where the United States government sued the Holy Land Foundation, the largest Islamic charity in America, for raising millions of dollars in the United States and sending it over to, uh, overseas to support terrorism. Our government handed down 108 guilty verdicts to Muslim Americans and Muslim American organizations raising money in America in order to finance terrorism overseas. And this is a document that was presented as evidence. It's titled an explanatory memorandum for the strategic goal for the group in North America written on 5-22-1991. And I'm just going to read you a paragraph of this plan to kind of give you an idea of what they mean for their plan for the United States. This is um, the title of the paragraph: "Is Understanding the Role of the Muslim Brother in North America." The process of settlement is a civilization jihadist process with all the word means. The Ikhwan, which is the Arabic word for brother, must understand that their work in America is a kind of grand jihad in eliminating and destroying the Western civilization from within and sabotaging its miserable house by their hands and the hands of the believers so that it is eliminated and Allah's religion is made victorious over all other religions, End quote. Is there anything vague about this paragraph? Do they tell us exactly what they want to do? I mean, is there anything unclear about this? A sixth grader can understand this. And we knew this our government knows exactly what they want to do. The most important document page of this whole document is the last page. The last page lists 29 front Islamic organizations set up in the United States in order to destroy America from within. And I'm going to read you some names of on the list because I'm sure you are familiar with some of them. Number one is ISNA, Islamic Society for North America. The reason why some of you have heard of ISNA is because they are now advisors to President Obama about Middle East policy. It was the president of ISNA who wrote President Obama's speech, which he delivered in Cairo, his first speech to the Arabic world. We not only have the fox watching the hen house, we have the fox inside the hen house, the White House, talking to the ear of the president. It is also ISNA, which is driving right now the purge of all language related to Islam out of our counterterrorism training manuals at the FBI, at the Pentagon, and all, uh, through all our... Military branches. These guys have become so powerful and entrenched in our government, especially in the last four years, that now at the count, in the counterterrorism training whether at the FBI, at the Joint Forces Command or anywhere else, they cannot say Islamic terrorism, Islamic radicalism, Islamic jihadism, the word jihad, none of that stuff. Right now it's the war on terror is overseas contingencies and uh, terrorist attacks are man-made disasters. We thought the war on terror was an oxymoron of a statement. That didn't describe the problem that we had. And this is how bad they are. Number one on the list of the Muslim Brotherhood as a front organization in America. Number two on the list is the MSA, Muslim Student Association. The Muslim Student Association today has more chapters on American college campuses than the Democrats and the Republicans combined. And you wonder how we're losing our universities? Number eight on the list is NATE, the North American Islamic Trust. NATE owns 90% of the mosques in the United States. Number 22 on the list is IAP, Islamic Association for Palestine, which later became CARE, Council on American Islamic Relations. 29 front Islamic organizations set up in the United States. What makes this plan so unique is this whole plan is how to infiltrate our societies, not militarily. We know that uh, the Muslim Brotherhood already has Al-Qaeda as one of its front branches. So you have organizations like Al-Qaeda and Al-Shabaab and all these organizations that are a front for the Muslim Brotherhood to do the military attacks. This is how they're going to destroy our society from within culturally, where they set up front organizations for every sector of our society, how they're going to impact us and change our country through education, through public policy, through the media. As I'm speaking to you right now, CARE, the Council on American Islamic Relations, is building a $20 million entertainment center in Hollywood. The publishing industry, every sector of our society, they detail. And at this point, I'm going to focus on the education because I want to show you how smart they are in infiltrating our country in a way where we are not even paying attention. And the education is the future of our country, and that's how they are stealing and shaping the next generation of Americans. Because of the oil wealth, the Saudis and the rich Arab sheikhs started pumping millions of dollars into our universities, setting up Middle East study departments and political science departments, and appointing Arab professors who are anti-Israel and anti-America to teach our students that Israel is evil, America is bad, and the Islamic world is the underdog and the oppressed by the two evil regimes, Israel and America. And the way they did it is they used a Title VI program, which is a program set up by our government after World War II to teach American students about foreign cultures and foreign languages, especially for those who want to get into the diplomatic field or work for the CIA so they can be an asset to our country. Here is the extent of the Saudi peddling that has taken place on our college campuses. Twenty million dollars was donated from uh, King Saad bin Fahoud to the University of Arkansas. Twenty-two million was donated to Harvard University. Twenty-eight point one million went to Georgetown. Five million to MIT. One point five million to Texas A&M. Five million to Rutgers University. Five million to Columbia. Other recipients of Saudi tainted monies include UC Santa Barbara, John Hopkins University, Duke University, American University, UCLA, Howard University, and many others. We pump the gas and they pump poison into the hearts and minds of our future generation. And this is why we must become energy independent tomorrow. We pump the gas and they pump poison into the hearts and minds of our future generations. It is so important for us to come up with policies that will stop that. People ask me all the time, Brigitte, but why is the media so biased? I mean, my gosh, the media is so biased. God forbid you are on one of those cruise ships and you are subjected to watching CNN International. I mean, I mean, you're, you're held hostage on those cruise ships. You know, it's, it's like watching Al Jazeera in English. You know, America is evil. America is bad. Oh, these poor Muslims. Americans are killing, you know, Muslims. I mean, my gosh. You know, my husband, when we travel, watches TV on these cruise ships with his shoe in his hand, ready to throw it at the TV. I'm like, honey, we're on vacation. Relax. Nobody can see you. But it is so frustrating. And I tell people, why are you frustrated? It's very simple. I can tell you why the media is biased. Because for the last 16, 20 years, All these students graduating out of our universities have been uh, fed a steady diet of hatred and resentment against America. They are today the news anchors, the news writers, the bureau chief, the policy makers, the decision makers, the foreign policy shapers. I mean, just look at our president. We don't have a commander in chief. We have an apologizer in chief. We have an apologizer-in-chief who never misses an opportunity to apologize for America. Shameful. Shameful. To give you an idea of how smart they are, when Ahmadinejad visited the United States to give uh, two weeks ago to give his speech at the UN, remember all these crook, excuse my French, can I say that at church? How we're meeting at the UN, which we fund in New York, and we actually pay for their secret service? Yeah. Did you know that? Our tax dollars paid to protect Ahmadinejad in America? Anyway, while he's here, he holds a private dinner at the Warwick Hotel and invites 150 students and professors from our elite university. He invites them for a private dinner with uh, with Ahmadinejad. The students were invited from um, Harvard, uh, NYU, Rutgers, University of Pennsylvania, Penn State University, Columbia, and Stony Brook's. Ahmadinejad was greeted with a standing ovation when he entered the room by these future leaders of the United States. They addressed him as your excellency. One lady said she was thrilled and honored to be in his presence. The students were told that this is the most important meeting of Ahmadinejad's visit to the United States. That's what they were told. And here is why. Quote, because you are the people who will shape the future of the world and the United States, end quote. Now, you didn't hear about this meeting on CNN. You didn't hear about this meeting on ABC, NBC, CBS, MSNBC, none of them. Because no one wants to talk about it. Because we are asleep while our enemy has a plan. Ahmadinejad used in his speech words like uh, dialogue, tolerance, interfaith. They know how to play us like a violin. The strategy worked so well on college campus that the Islamists got together and said, you know what, why wait until the kids got to college? Why don't we take them in middle school and high school and start teaching them and brainwashing them? then this way, by the time they get to high school, they get to college, they are 18 years old and they vote. So they launched the Islam Project in 1991 the Islam Project uh, started providing consultants to America's top publishers, Muslim consultants, to America's top publishers who publish history books and social studies books like Houghton Mifflin and McGraw-Hill and Random House because they thought, we wanted to start teaching Islam an in-depth look at Islam in public schools. And of course, the publishers had no problem with it. Sure, we'll learn about Islam. So they introduced a a course, a three-week course for public schools for sixth and seventh grade where students had to adopt Islamic names, memorize and recite verses from the Quran, fast for one day if they can to experience Ramadan, and go on a field trip to a mosque to experience what it's like to be a Muslim. And when I started speaking about this, especially after my research for my second book um, titled They Must Be Stopped, you know, I started realizing, oh my god, this is unbelievable what's happening in the country. And people say to me, oh, Brigitte, You are exaggerating. I mean, we have separation of church and state. This cannot possibly happen in the United States. You know, they cannot teach about Islam. I mean, after all, we don't have a Christmas holiday anymore. We call it winter break. We can't even sing Christmas carols in in school anymore at Christmas. We have spring break. We can't even call it Easter holiday. And I said, oh, yeah? There's nothing like show and tell. Here is the course. This is the course on Islam. This course right now is weaved into uh, textbooks all across the nation in every state, our history books and social studies books, and 22 questions from this course is on the SOL testing that the students have to pass in order to get into college. Allow me to share with you how this course began and what the, how the teacher instruction says. By the way, this course on Islam, is copyrighted 1991 by a company called Interaction Publishers, Inc. doing business as Interact, based in California. 1991, 10 years prior to September 11th. Here's what the teacher says. From the beginning, you and your classmates will become Muslims. You will be a member of a caravan. The teacher is already preparing the students. You're going to be Muslims now for the next three weeks. The teacher continues his or her instructions by saying, dressing as a Muslim and trying to be involved will increase your learning and enjoyment. Finally, trying your best at all tasks will guarantee you an excellent grade and a more enjoyable time. The teacher is already dangling the great carrot in front of the students. Here are the list of names that the students have to choose from. They've got boys' names and girls' names. Boys' names, Abdullah, Khalid, Hassan, Hamza, Ibrahim, Arafat. Women's names, Karima, Maryam, Noor, Amina, Fatima, Samira, etc. Here are wisdom cards. Wisdom cards are cue cards in order to memorize the Islam lesson. These are like cue cards, like like students study their multiplication tables. They use cue cards in order to, to study and memorize their lessons. This is to memorize the Islam lesson. These are called wisdom cards, and this is a fact card. This card deals with jihad. The reason why I chose this card in particular is because we hear the word jihad mentioned a lot by terrorists. I mean, there are terrorist organizations named Islamic Jihad or al Mujahidun, And uh, Jihad, you know, we hear uh, people who are about to commit a terrorist attack uh, against America or whatever. You know, we are fighting Fisabil al-Jihad. We are fighting in the the path of Jihad. Suicide bombers, before they blow themselves up in Israel, they are dying Fisabil al-Jihad. So obviously Jihad plays a major role, um, at least when it comes to terrorism and terrorist activities. But here's what they are teaching our students about jihad in public schools. A jihad is a struggle by Muslims against oppression, invasion, and injustice. That's a fact card. If these words sound familiar to you, it's because these are the words of Al-Qaeda, When they issue a press release, this is their talking points. When they issue a press release against America, what do they say? We are fighting America because we are fighting injustice. We are fighting oppression. We are fighting invasion. Those Palestinian suicide bombers, before they blow themselves up and record video before they die, what do they say in their video? We are dying because we are fighting oppression. We are fighting injustice. So right now, We have our enemy teaching our unsuspecting little Johnny and Sally in 6th and 7th grade the talking points, their talking points, in our public schools paid for by our tax dollars. Do you see how dangerous this is? Most people have no idea. It's over their head. This is how they're shaping the next generations of Americans. They did it already on college campus, and it worked so well. They thought, heck, let's start with the children while they're young. You know, Hitler made a very important statement. Hitler said, give me the children. I will change society in 10 years. And that's exactly what he did. Our enemies are not dumb. They are changing our society as I'm speaking to you. By the way, the word jihad is mentioned in the Quran 40 times, 36 times out of 40, as a holy war against the infidels in order to kill them or subjugate them. And I know we're speaking at a church, so I have to share this little prayer that they have to analyze in public schools. This is the Shahada prayer, the salvation prayer when somebody wants to convert to Islam. This is the equivalent of the Christian prayer of I accept Jesus into my heart as my Lord and Savior when someone wants to convert to Christianity. So the students have to analyze it in the class. Praise be to Allah, Lord of creation, the compassionate, the merciful, king of judgment day. You alone we worship and to you alone we pray for help. Guide us to the straight path. The path of those whom you have favored, which is the Muslims. Nor of those who have, gone, who, who have incurred your wrath, which is the Jews. Nor of those who have gone astray, which is the Christians and the atheists. Can you believe this? They have to analyze this in public schools. And here's an exercise pro, uh, uh, that they have to do. A uh, work exercise. It's, um, I'll choose one. Become a Muslim warrior during the Crusades or during an ancient jihad. Explain weapons, tactics, etc. Explain weapons, tactics, etc. Excuse me? This is nonsense. This is unacceptable. You know, I'm a mother. I want my kids born my kids went to public schools i want my children to learn about islam christianity judaism hinduism buddhism i want them to have a well-rounded education about the world's religion but i do not want anyone indoctrinating my children into anything let me teach my kids at home what i want my kids to study I will teach my kids at home at what, what my kids need to study. This is political correctness gone mad. It is killing us, and I believe it's time to throw political correctness in the garbage where it belongs and start calling a spade a spade.) <laughs> amazing how everybody in this country is afraid to say anything. They're afraid to offend anybody. They are afraid that, you know, everybody's offended about anything. Well, you know what? I am offended when I hear people speak ill of America, put America down, apologize for America. And for those who don't like America and think it's such a bad place to live in, we'll give them a one-way ticket to get out of here and back to wherever they want to go. Is not perfect nobody is perfect we all have our shortcomings but you know what last time i checked america was god's gift to the universe where everybody from all over the world was trying to get here and for a good reason And I am offended and sick and tired when I hear people say, I'm an African-American, and I'm a Vietnamese-American, and I'm an Italian-American, and I'm a Lebanese-American. I am nothing but an American. We came to this country from all over the world, All over the world, we came here seeking refuge, whether people came on the Mayflower or, like me, came on the TWA. (laughs) We all came here because we wanted to be Americans. When I look at this room, we are a tapestry of color. White, black, brown, blonde, redhead, black hair, yellow, whatever you came from. We all came here to be one because America offered something so special for all of us. Immigrants who came here went and worked and did everything they can to provide their children with a better future. They insisted on their children speaking English. Even broken English, they told your kids, you're going to be Americans. And I believe English is the official language of the United States and shall remain so. And as you can tell, I'm not politically correct at all. (laughs) I'm proud of it. (laughs) Hey, I can say this. I look ethnic, and and, and I speak English as my fourth language. So I can say that. And I'm an immigrant here, legal immigrant to this great nation. I had to study an inch thick book by the Daughters of the Revolution about American history and take an oral test and a written test in the state of Virginia. And when I was preparing for my test, I would ask my American born husband, you know, apple pie, born in Queens of Angels Hospital in Los Angeles. And I would ask him, honey, you know, what about this or that? And he would say, I don't know. (laughs) and I would say what do you mean you don't know I'm studying here I've got a test to take he's sitting with me at the federal building I'm looking at my clock my heart is beating fast he didn't know I knew more about American history by the time I went and swore my pledge of allegiance to the United States as an American than my American born husband did that's how it should be done but I That's right, baby. (laughs) And this is why I am here speaking to you tonight. I am an American by choice, not by accident. I lived and I waited to get here. I crossed oceans to get here. I came here and I studied and I took so many medical tests. You have no idea how many needles I had to be poked with to prove that I did not bring any disease with me in order for me to qualify even to become an American and get my green card. That's how it's done. I lost my country of birth to radical Islam. I do not want to lose my adopted country, America. September 11th was a defining moment for the United States. September 11th brought us all together as one. No matter what our politics, no matter what our skin color, no matter what our background, we came together as one. We all sat in front of our TV screens that day, no matter where you were in the country, and we cried And we sobbed as we watched the World Trade Center tumble down. As our hearts broke and we were frustrated, we were angry, we were afraid, we didn't know what to do. We could not believe that someone could hate us so much that they would hijack planes and use them as human missiles and fly them into skyscrapers. September 11th was a defining moment for our nation. It changed our lives. For me in particular, it touched me in a very special way because of my background and my history, which I shared with you at the beginning of this presentation. My two daughters came home from school that afternoon. They didn't know what had happened. They saw me watching television and watching the images, the World Trade Center come down again and again and again. And my young daughter, who was around my age when I was wounded, looked at me and she said, Mommy, why did they do this to us? And I looked at my daughter, and I repeated to her exactly what my father told me. I said. They hate us because they consider us infidels and they want to kill us. Here we were, two generations apart. I was a young Lebanese girl. She's a young American girl. I spoke the Arabic language. She speaks the English language. 8,000 miles apart, two different continents apart, 30 years apart. I had to repeat to my daughter exactly what my father told me. That day was my defining moment. That's the day I was reborn as an activist. That's the day I vowed I'll do everything in my power to make sure that my daughter will never ever has to lo- have to look into her child's eye and repeat to him or to her what I told her and what my daddy told me. That was my defining moment. I decided, what can I do? What can I do to serve my country? For six days, I laid on the couch in my family room watching television. I was debilitated. I couldn't move. I was watching the images of people being pulled from under the rubble, people wounded. I could hear the screams of their parents, like I heard the screams of my parents when they pulled me from under the rubble. I could smell the smoke. I could taste the blood as my blood dripped into my face, and I drank my blood as I was pinned under a wall. I knew what they were going through. And I said to myself, what can I do to serve my country? And I am a firm believer that every single one of us has a purpose. Every single one of us has a destiny. Every trial and tribulation we go through, every experience we go through is nothing more than a building block, a preparation for us to make the world a better place, to serve humanity, to serve each other and make this world a better place. And I decided, because of my background, because of the way I look like, because of my experience in the media, coming from the Middle East, being fluent in the Arabic language, not only as an eyewitness to terror who lived to tell about it, but also as a journalist who covered um, Islamic radicalism, I decided I'm gonna create an educational foundation and call it ACT, and I'm gonna travel nationwide educating millions of Americans about the threat of radical Islam to world peace and our national security. And I started speaking, and I started traveling the country. And I spoke to crowds from seven people meeting in the morning at Frankie's Ribs in Pungo, Virginia, where the average age was 75 years old. And every two words, I had to repeat them again because someone would say, huh? <laughs> and I would speak to groups from seven people in the morning to 7,000 sitting at a megachurch just like this, a pup. And I realized one question kept coming up, no matter where I spoke around the country. Now that I'm educated, what can I do? Give me something to do. I love my country. I feel so frustrated. I'm frustrated with the status quo, people would tell me. And I realized that while education is important, education by itself is not sufficient. Education must be coupled with action. And that's when I launched ACT for America in 2007. Act for America today has almost a quarter of a million members, 750 chapters nationwide with a full-time lobbyist on Capitol Hill. Our philosophy is this. If our elected officials are not willing to see the light, we're going to make them feel the heat. And now you can clap. Take my word to the bank. Because when I looked around, I was speaking on Capitol Hill in 2006 to members of Congress, right after General Petraeus spoke. Remember General Petraeus when the New York Times, when he spoke on Capitol Hill and the New York Times put the ad, General B. I spoke right after him on Capitol Hill. And you cannot believe what a sight Capitol Hill was that day. Security SWAT teams all over the roads, roads blocked. It It was like going into a war zone. And I, after the cameras left, of course, I was not as important as General Petraeus. After the cameras left, the journalists left, and everybody else left, and I sat there with members of Congress speaking to them. And I said to them, why don't you say something? Now that you hear what I shared with you, and I know some of you do, because some of you are on the Select Intelligence Committee and so forth and so on. And they said to me, Brigitte, every time we open our mouths and say something, we know we're going to hear from moveon.org. We're going to hear from the ACLU. We're going to hear from all leftist organizations. We're going to hear from Islamic organizations, but we don't hear anything from the grassroots. And I thought to myself, oh my gosh, of all the great organizations that we have in our country, we don't have anything dedicated to national security. Because while we have great organizations on the left and on the right, take the NRA, for example, whether you love them or you hate them, agree with them or disagree with them, you have to give them one thing. They are powerful. Why? They have four million members and $300 million a year budget. And they focus on one thing, guns. And all other organizations like that. And I decided we need an organization to focus on national security. We are creating the NRA of national security. That's what Act for America is all about. We are empowering people just like you who are frustrated with the status quo, who are finding out about what's happening in our country, and they want to do something to protect the nation. We may not be able to wear uniforms, we are not able to wear uniforms and go serve on the front lines, but most of us can come together and work together in our own communities. We launched Act for America to bring people together, groups together, so they can work together and tackle situations in their own community. And I started speaking, like I would be speaking in, let's say, Pensacola, Florida, and people would say to me, oh, Brigitte, you don't understand. We really have a problem in Pensacola because we have a a real problem with the rise of radical Islam that they don't have anywhere else in the country. And I would travel the next day to Fontana, California, and I would speak in Fontana, and people would say to me, oh, Brigitte, you don't understand. We have a problem in Fontana that nobody else in the country has. And I would go the next day to rally North Carolina, and I would hear the same song in rally North Carolina. And I decided, wow, we need an organization that would link all our good-hearted Americans who love this country and want to do something to protect it so they do not feel that they are frustrated and out in left field by themselves. Because I realized that our enemy is so organized, and they know how to strategize, and they are organized nationwide, but we were not. And that's what we did with Act for America. And to give you an idea of some of the projects that we are working on, I shared with you what the Islamists are doing with the the Islam project. Act for America launched a two-year research project in the last two years, where we analyzed 38 textbooks, history books, and social studies books about what they are teaching in public schools to our children. And we wrote a report about it, an over 200-page report, and a summary. And we mailed that summary to 70,000 elected school board members nationwide, asking them, what are you going to do about it? You know the information. Here is the report. This is the summary of the report. It is titled, Education or Indoctrination? The Treatment of Islam in 6th Grade through 12th in Great American Textbooks. This is the executive summary. We wanted to make sure... That good-hearted elected school board members who may not know because they have not paid attention about what's happening with this project, that they will be informed about what is being taught to our children, especially regarding this issue in public schools. And we also wanted to make sure that we mobilize our chapters. We have now 750 chapters nationwide. We mailed this executive summary to them and we said, Okay, we're gonna put pressure from the bottom and pressure from the top so we can close any loophole so the Islamists will not be able to get it to our children by teaching them lies. And that's how we're doing it. This report, by the way, is available on our website, Act for America Education. You all can read it. It's free of charge. Uh, forward it to every school, book, uh, elected school board member that you may know, any teacher that you may know. And to give you an idea about just one example of what we found out, you know how September 11th is taught right now in public schools? Remember, this is 10 years after September 11th. Some of these books were published in 2005. One book in particular went so far as to say, September 11th was a terrorist attack against the United States perpetrated by a group of men driven by a cause. Group of men driven by a cause. They don't say they were Muslims. Islamists, jihadists, they don't say anything about their ideology. They don't say anything about their cause. For all the students are concerned, you know, they could be a a bunch of Baptists from Tulsa, Oklahoma, and their cause is the abortion issue, or a bunch of Hasidic Jews from Brooklyn, New York, and Israel is their issue. This This is lying to our students. These are the future leaders of America. If we don't teach them the truth now about historical facts. And this is 10 years after September 11th. How are these students, when they are 30 and 40 years old, who are elected officials and decision makers in their community, how are they going to make the right decision in serving our country and moving our country forward in the right direction if they base their information on mistruth? That's what we are trying to change. That's what Act for America is doing. The second thing we are working on is passing legislation called ALAC, American Laws for American Courts, in different states nationwide to make sure that American courtrooms will only consider the Constitution as the highest authority of the land, and they will only judge cases by the Constitution and nothing else. As I'm speaking to you right now, we have already documented over 50 cases of Sharia law being applied in the United States instead of the Constitution. 50 cases in different states. Where Sharia law was used instead of the Constitution of the United States. Who would have thought that in the 21st century in America, we're going to be pushing to pass laws to make sure our courts and our judges will only consider the Constitution and no other law, especially when it contradicts the Constitution. Our founding fathers are turning in their grave. The law that we are passing called ALAC, American Laws for American Courts. And we already passed it in Arizona, in Louisiana, in Kansas, in Tennessee. This year, we are introducing it in 20 states in the United States. We want to make sure we close every loophole and set up walls of resistance to make sure our enemy and those who wish to change America will not have a chance in getting their nose in the door, let alone their foot. That's what we're doing. Do you think if Act for America did not exist, these type of laws will be passing? No. Do you think if Act for America did not exist, people would be talking or you would be hearing about what's happening in the textbooks right now? No. It takes an organization that's a watchdog watching after our interest when it comes to national security. And that's why we lobby. And that's why we mobilize. Does this message resonate with you? Good. Then I am talking to the right people. And I'm going to share with you how you can get involved tonight with Act for America, where you can make a difference in your own community. We are setting up chapters nationwide, including in Pennsylvania. We already have chapters in Pennsylvania. When you came in today, under your seats, there are these white papers, two white papers. I want you to pull them out. The first paper has blocks on it. It's called Act for America on the top, and it has blocks. That's our email sign-up sheets. For those of you who are not receiving our emails, we would like you to sign up and get our emails so we can reach you because we're going to introduce ALAC in Pennsylvania this year, and we want to be able to notify you when the bill is coming down for a vote so you can call your elected officials and let them know how you wish, how you would like them to vote. This is the email sign-up sheet. Thank you. How many of you receive our emails? Please raise your hand. Wow, not many of you. Okay, the email sign-up emails are free. They don't cost you a dime. The reason why we want you signing up is because when there is a bill coming down for a vote, whether on a state level or on a national level and a federal level, we want to be able to call you in enough time to notify you about it to tell you bill number HR 1640 titled this way sponsored by such and such elected official is coming down tomorrow for a vote please call your elected official and tell him or her to either vote for it or not vote for it we'll give you all the details and all the information how many of you would like to be notified to be able to become a voice affecting your community and our nation then fill in this information thing thank you I am here talking to eagles. I am gathering eagles nationwide to keep a watchful eye on America, and I need every single one of you to be involved. Signing up to get an email doesn't cost you anything, and it will only take one minute of your time to read an email when it counts. If you wish to receive our emails, fill in the blocks and check the box on the top that says ACT email newsletter. The second line says, join and act chapter. We are setting up chapters nationwide. And if you wish to join an Act for America chapter, you want to come together with other parents in your community, other concerned citizens in your community, get together, talk to elected officials, talk among yourselves about things you can do in the community, check join and act for America chapter. We will connect you with the chapter in your community close to you so you can get involved. Our chapters meet once a month. Um, Some of them have different times, different nights, different schedules, or you can organize it. The third block says lead an Act for America chapter. If you say to yourself, my gosh, this message moved me so much, I would like to lead an Act for America chapter in my community. If you wish to lead an Act for America chapter, please give us your phone number right here on the blocks where it says give the phone number. Because we want to be able to call you, our national field director in our office will call you, get in touch with you, get you hooked up, get you connected, give you the names of all the people who already want to become a part of your chapter. You will already have a chapter up and running immediately. Because as much as there are people in this crowd who want to join a chapter, there are people who want to lead a chapter. We want to make sure we connect you together. And it is the chapter meetings and chapter leaders is what makes events like this happen. And I want to acknowledge and thank people who made this event possible. It's the work of our chapters and our liaisons in the community. The first person I want to recognize and I want to thank is Jade Sedwick, Jay and Linda Sedwick, who are our friends, our supporters, and who work to make this visit possible. I promised I won't say this, Jay, but the devil made me do it. (laughs) He's such a humble man. He said, don't mention my name, but at least I can mention that his effort and his hard work made us come to this church tonight. And he also arranged for us to speak at his church in Naples, Florida, last, uh, last spring. Thank you, Jay and Linda. The other person I want to recognize is Denise Melnick, our volunteer coordinator, who put a lot of time. Thank you, Denise. Our volunteer security, especially Dean Lawrence. I want you to know that all the security tonight is volunteers, and I'm so thankful for them. Our chapter leader, who heads up the chapter here in Pennsylvania, Sarah Hart. Sarah, where are you? Stand up. Sarah. (laughs) Thank you, Sarah. Leadership in action. Any other chapter leaders, in case we have chapter leaders who drove here that I do not have your name, let me know and stand up because we have sometimes chapter leaders. It is the efforts of people like this that bring this message to the hundreds of you sitting in the pews here tonight. When when everyone does a little, together we can accomplish a lot. So that's what I want you to do with this sign-up sheet and and our chapter leadership. And while I'm talking about chapters, I am honored tonight to have with me here our national field director who set up and is in charge of all our chapters nationwide, 750 chapters nationwide, Kelly Cook. Kelly, where are you? Here's Kelly. allow me to say a few words about this amazing man whom I respect and admire who's standing next to me. When Kelly cook came to work for act for America, I asked him, why are you coming to work for us, Kelly? I mean, he's a businessman from the Northwest. He owned, he was a real estate developer. He owned a construction company. His company put lighting, uh, lighting on the, and the runway on strips and the, and the airports, you know, when the air, airplanes are taking off and there are the lighting strips on the runways and you wonder who does this stuff. That's what he did in the Northwest. So I asked him, why are you coming to work for Act for America? We pay peanuts. We're a little nonprofit organization. He said, because I want to serve my country, and I want to protect the future for my three grandchildren. Can you please say a few words?
4: Can you folks see why you're listening to the bravest woman on the planet? I also oversee her security when we travel. I'm her personal bodyguard. I, I talk to the security team. And by the way, the team tonight is amazing. Thank you, Dean, wherever you went. Because the threats are real. You know, you see Brigitte up here tonight, but you don't see the rest of her life and some of the things she's forced to go through because she's willing to stand here. I want to do a little, has anybody heard uh, from a polling company lately? Have you been polled on the phone? Would you like to give your opinion tonight? Uh, Actually, I want to find out how you heard about this event. If you heard about this through this church, just raise your hand. Wow. Wow, Wow, that's what I thought. Okay. (laughs) How many heard about this through an Act for America email? Okay. Act for America chapter, our chapter down in Pittsburgh. All right. Uh, By the way, Sarah Hart's doing an amazing job. She is... Is running point on the ALAC effort here in Pennsylvania. I oversee, or I've been overseeing uh, the effort nationwide. I really appreciate what you've been doing, Sarah. Um, how many heard about this from a friend? you, you Somebody just told you, but okay, great. Tea Party. That's, that was my next one Tea Party. <laughs> you read my mind. Um, w- there was a letter sent out to elected officials if you're an elected official here tonight could you raise your hand you came from that letter all right. all right thank you thank you well I just want to take this opportunity afterwards tonight I'm going to be behind the book tables but if any of you are interested in starting a chapter in your town your area I would like to give you my business card and arrange to send you my new book on chapter leadership and it explains it a to z it's a lot simpler than most people realize i would love to fill you in on those details so come see me afterwards about that and and just thanks for being here tonight and we really appreciate the hospitality Brigitte,
2: thank you kelly Thank you, Kelly. Uh, The next paper that you have in in your sheets in here, it's titled, A Contribution Form. What does an organization need other than members and volunteers? Good. I'm talking to the right people. Oh, your email sign-up sheet. For those of you who are done signing up your email, please pass them to the middle of the aisle. Our volunteers are going to collect them from you pass it to the center of the aisle. Our volunteers are going to collect them from you. And I want you to know that we do not, we do not uh, rent our database. We do not sell our database. We do not share our database. I protect your security like I protect mine. So for those of you who finished filling the email sign-up sheet, please pass it to the center of the aisle. And then they're going to pick it up from you. Thank you. Now, our philosophy at ACT is this. When everyone does a little, together we accomplish a lot. I wish we had someone like George Soros who can give us $40 million like George Soros did with MoveOn.org. But unfortunately, we don't have that. I wish we have an oil wealth in our backyard pumping oil. You know, I said that in Texas, and I actually had people in the audience who did have an oil pump, pumping oil in their backyard. I forgot where I was. But thank God they are on our side, but we don't have that. So we have to depend on the generosity of people like us in this country who together can give and help this organization. And before I get into illustrating how we're going to be able to do that together, I want to share something private with you that somebody asked me that I should share with crowds when I travel. I want you to know that when I speak like tonight, I do not get paid an honorarium. I volunteer my time to invest in your community. My visit here tonight did not cost the church a dime. We paid for our airfare, Kelly and I. I paid for my hotel, for my rental car, for my meals, stayed away from my family, to be here to speak before you tonight because I believe this is such an important issue that I am willing to invest my time and my effort and my financial investment in order to wake up the country. And we just hope Thank you. Thank you. And we hope that through meetings like this, we can grow Act for America, recruit members, recruit donors, and have enough to cover our expenses and have enough left to be able to raise money to do the work that we need to do. And I'm going to illustrate to you tonight how we can do it together. Can anybody give me two quarters? Can I have a volunteer who can give me two quarters? Two quarters. What, Obama promised change? Nobody has changed anymore? <laughs> you have to go, oh <laughs> This is my retirement plan. This is how I supplement my income. <laughs> no, but I will give you the two quarters back at the end. Now, what can you buy with two quarters? Nothing. Okay, come on, we've got to be able to buy something. Stamp, we can buy a stamp. Candy, she must have little kids. <laughs> What's that? A newspaper. a newspaper. Hopefully it's a good newspaper because some of them don't deserve our money. Most of them don't deserve our money. Um, two quarters can buy a lot. Two quarters a day are $15 a month. Two quarters can buy the security of America. When everyone, every single one of us does a little, together we can accomplish a lot. We are not millionaires, and we cannot cut checks with a lot of zeros next to it, but we all can give a little. Now, if some of you here can cut checks with a lot of zeros next to it, please speak to me at the end, I'm interested in speaking <laughs> with you. You know, I, we, I, don't laugh, I did this in, in Colorado, we were speaking somewhere, and a gentleman who owns one of the largest, uh, what do I say? Oh, well, he doesn't mind. Coors beers. <laughs> Somebody had invited him an hour before my presentation. He had never heard my name, didn't know anything about Act for America. And his friend ran into him at Starbucks and he said, oh, you've got to come with me to hear Brigitte Gabriel." So he dragged him over. That's how Mr. Coors became a huge supporter of Act for America. That's why I learned to say, if you are able to write a lot of big zeros, that's when I started saying that. But here is how we're building the organization person by person, Committing to standing with us as a Patriot Partner on a monthly basis at whatever level. And here is why we need Patriot Partners. We have a program called Patriot Partner Program. Here is why we need Patriot Partners. Because our goal right now, we are raising money to hire a lobbyist, another lobbyist. Do you have any idea how many lobbyists uh, the Saudis have on Capitol Hill? Over 100. 100. You wonder why we cannot get anywhere with drill, baby, drill, or whatever, whatever energy we're trying to do? 100 lobbyists. Do you know how many lobbyists we have? One. What's wrong with this picture? What's wrong with this picture? That's right. We want to be able to bring on full time another lobbyist working for us. We want to make sure we have a full time legislative person working in our office focusing also on state legislation nationwide because when you pass a bill on a state level it's much easier to pass it on a state level than on a federal level you pass it in 15 to 20 states then it'll be a breeze getting it through congress because you set precedent You're not going to see resistance. Right now, Act for America wants to create a pipeline by which we set up to all states where we just can funnel one legislation after another to make sure we close every loophole the Islamists and our enemies are using in order to sabotage our, our country. We are raising money to hire that full legislative person in office, and that's why we need your help. And the reason why we need it through the Patriot Partner Program is in order for us to commit to bring someone of that caliber on board full-time, we want to be able to know that we have his or her salary at least for a year in the bank because you're not going to be able to recruit top-notch professionals by bringing them on board, hiring them for one month, And telling them, okay, we don't have money for you next month. You need to go. No one's going to relocate and work for you for that. That's why we need your support. On this page, on the contribution form, we have different levels where you can support. We have... As a monthly Patriot partner for $20 or more, you will receive today an option of two gifts written below. One will be an autographed copy of my book, They Must Be Stopped, that I'm going to give to you as a gift, as well as Unmasking the Enemy Among Us, uh, the Muslim Brotherhood DVD in the United States. I told you only a little bit about the Muslim Brotherhood. Can you imagine what a two-hour DVD will teach you about the Muslim Brotherhood in America? You can have an option for any of these two or it's Sharia Allah for non-Muslim book for those of you who want to learn about Sharia Allah. If you want to become a monthly contributor of $10 to $19, you can choose one of the three options that you have below. If you are able to stand with us as a patriot partner, I encourage you to do so. If you say, Brigitte, the economy is very tough, I cannot make a commitment to stand with you monthly. I can only give a one-time gift. If you are able to do that, we would greatly appreciate your support. Again, if you make a single contribution of $75 or more, you can choose two of the following gifts, either an autographed copy of my book, Sharia Allah for Non-Muslim, and Masking the Enemy Among Us, the Muslim Brotherhood Project, whatever you choose. And we have the same thing for a lesser option on the page. Whatever you are able to do, I need your help, and I implore you to stand with me and support me. And... I want you to know that every time I travel and I speak, I know that there is a bullet out there with my name on it waiting to kill me. But I am willing to take that risk because I know as long as I have thousands of people like you standing behind me, I am able to do that in order to defend our country for me, for you, and for our future generation. All I'm asking you is give me the opportunity to be able to do so. And these forms, please keep them with you. At the end, you take them with you outside, and you can hand them at the table outside so uh, our volunteers can take it from you, and then you will come. And I would love to have the honor and the privilege to thank you in person for giving me the opportunity to serve my country in the way I can. And I cannot end my presentation without asking all our active military and our veterans to please stand up and be recognized. All our military and active veterans. Wow. 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 Please remain standing. Thank you. Remain standing. I have a message for you. Wow. Please remain standing. I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for building a nation for me where I can come and be all I can be as an American, where I can escape tyranny and come to this great land and exercise my freedoms, my great freedoms. I know that my freedom is built upon your shoulders and your sacrifice. I want to thank you for every sleepless night you slept away from home. I want to thank you for every meal you missed, for every family occasion you missed, for every month you spent on the road away from your family. So while you were laying your life on the line so we can get together with our friends and our families and enjoy our barbecues and our holidays, I know my freedom and the freedoms of every single one of us sitting in this crowd tonight is built upon your shoulders and your sacrifice. You are not only my heroes, but you are the heroes of millions of Americans who look up to you, but who are unable to stand before you here tonight. I thank you on behalf of them, and I thank you on behalf of millions of people around the world who are still living under tyranny, who will never have an opportunity to meet you or see you or thank you, who wish they have a military like you, to go Release them from the shackles around their ankles so they can live in freedom. On their behalf, I thank you. And I promise you that I am building an organization with Act for America that will always lift you up, that will always praise you, that will always speak of your sacrifice, that will teach our young future generations where their freedom comes from so they can enjoy life and remember who paid the price for them to have the life that they have. I thank you from the bottom of my heart for honoring me in your presence tonight. May God bless you one and all, and may God bless the United States of America. May we live to honor the memory of our founding fathers. May God bless you all. Thank you for being here tonight. Good night. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I love you too. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.
4: Folks, just a few instructions. If you would like to pick up a copy of her book that she will sign in your name tonight, she'll autograph it. Head out here and go to the left, and we've got eight lines in the gym out this way. It'll go really fast. Just bring your forms out there. We've got a highly trained group of volunteers out there just waiting to meet you. Thank you so much for your hospitality tonight. Good night.